Again, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and if you will open your copy of the Scripture there, Matthew chapter 8 is where we find ourselves again this Lord's Day morning. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 is where we begin. Matthew eight twenty-eight. When he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, Two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. I'm using as a subject for these verses, Christ's supremacy over the host of hell. Commentator D.A. Carson asked, why demon possession? Why disease, misfortune, and death? Carson answers his own queries, quote, a fallen world leaves sinful men subject to calamity, end of quote. Jesus Christ is God's answer to the calamities that beset men in a sin-cursed world. Matthew and the other gospel writers repeatedly show this to be the case. They showcase Jesus' ability to rectify the effects that evil has wrought in man's existence. As Jesus did so, he demonstrated his authority and his power over disease, over death, over demons, over the elements of the natural world, as we saw last week. And, again, over evil supernaturalism. When he did this, He gave us evidence of his deity and his messiahship. Jesus' unqualified success in defeating the forces of hell also show that he can rescue fallen humanity from Satan and his co-workers who hold lost men in their grip. They grip men, lost men, physically, mentally, and spiritually. In fact, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John five nineteen declares. Jesus Christ has demonstrated in his earthly ministry, and it's recorded in this passage and in other gospel texts, that he is able to save men's souls. There is nothing that can hinder his power to accomplish that great end to the soul for the souls of men. The text before us is one of the examples of our Lord's supremacy in the supernatural realm. The example comes in the form of a confrontation. Confrontation between our Lord and evil spirits. 
In fact, that'll be our first heading, the confrontation. In verse 28, we see it here, how he got there. How he got to the place where the confrontation would unfold. This was not accidental that he arrived on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. This was a planned trip. For it was a planned engagement that Jesus intended to have under the Father's plan with the powers of darkness. We know this because we recall the words in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, when Jesus saw the crowd, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. He was going across the Sea of Galilee with the intervening storm, by the way, that he quelled. He was going over there so that he might meet these two men in our text fact it was a mission of mercy in addition to uh, displaying his authority his jurisdiction and his omnipotence as I just mentioned it's merciful it was his compassion toward these beleaguered men so he goes there in the Gadarenes which was a predominantly Gentile area we believe that's the case simply because there's a bunch of pigs being herded. Pigs, as you know, were off limits to the Jews. They weren't kosher. They were restricted for food by the Levitical legislation in the Old Testament. God said, you can't eat them. You can't partake of that. Now, upon our Lord's arrival, the demon-possessed men, they meet him in the middle of the verse. Two men were demon-possessed, met him as they were coming out of the tombs. We need to define demon possession. Just what is it? It is when a demon or demons enter into a human body and gains control over it. When a demon gains control over a human body, that is a calamity. In the world, that's what Carson was talking about. These two men were under the control of the demons who resided in them. They had no control over themselves. They had lost the ability to control their life. They were under the dominion of these evil supernatural creatures. In fact, there was a massive number of them. These invisible creatures controlling the lives of these men. How do we know this? The parallel account in Mark's gospel. Verse 9 says this. Five night of Mark. My name is Legion. The spokesman for the demon said. A legion was a military unit of 6,000 infantrymen. The demonized men were under the control of a massive number of demons. Can you imagine that? The men due to the mind of control were extremely violent. That's what it says in the text, verse 28. They could not be controlled by mere human beings. Again, Mark helps us understand this. Mark's account of the incidents tells us that no one's able to bind him. Mark only singles out one of the two. No one's able to bind him anymore, not even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him. And the shackles broken into pieces. 
and no one was strong enough to subdue him. That's why they didn't pass by. This man had supernatural strength. These men had supernatural strength because those demons in him, them, were controlling them. That formidable strength expressed through their bodies. You need to understand too, demons are nothing but fallen angels. They followed Satan and his revolt against the Most High. Yet they retain their intelligence. They retain their strength as angelic beings. They retain all those attributes that they had prior to the fall. And they employ them under divine restriction in dealing with human beings. In particular, in the case of this possession. In fact, to give you an idea how strong angels are, remember uh, the Assyrians who were going to attack Israel, Judah in particular, and they had 185,000 men waiting to go and attack Israel or Judah. God dispatched one angel. One angel who destroyed 185,000 men. That gives you some comprehension of just how powerful these beings are. But when they came and come face to face with Jesus, it's a different story. Aren't you glad about that? Yeah, they're strong, but there's someone stronger. Yeah, they're mighty, but there's the mighty one. They come to Jesus. In fact, uh, when they come to him, Mark reports that one of them ran up to Jesus when he saw him. He bowed down to him. Because that demon inside that man knew who he was confronting. He was compelled to bow. Standing in the presence of the Almighty. They knew where the absolute power was. (laughs) They knew they were looking at him. Had absolute power over them. There's nothing they can do to him, to resist him because they understood that he had absolute dominion over them. That's why they cry out. You notice in verse 29? And they cried out saying, what business do we have with each other? Son of God. The Greek literally reads, what to us and you? The question is a Hebrew idiom. (laughs) Let me explain what an idiom is for some of us may not understand what an idiom is. An idiom is a group of words established by usage as having meaning not deducible from those of the individual words. Looking at the words, you don't know what it really means. Like when it says raining cats and dogs. (laughs) What does that mean? It's an idiomatic phrase, an idiom. We all know what that means. It's the case here. That's why it's translated here. What business do we have with each other? That's an explanation. Another way to understand what the demon was saying to Jesus, we do not have a common concern. Boy, that's true. (laughs) They, They want to destroy men's lives and Jesus wants to save them. There's an absolute disconnect with what the demons want to do and with what Jesus wants to do. We might put it another way. I think this is even better. Uh, What are you doing here and why are you bothering us? 
Well, I'm going to tell you something. We can examine this passage and we can learn some things that the demons know. They have knowledge, you know. First thing we see here, notice they address him, son of God. Demons are orthodox Christologically. Christology is the doctrine of Christ. They know the truth of who he is. They know that Jesus of Nazareth, they know that he is the son of God. They know that he shares fully and equally the divine essence. They know that he is the second person of the Trinity. They know this. On another occasion, recorded by Luke chapter 4, verse 41, demons shouted, quote, you are the son of God. The reality is the whole host of hell know Jesus' identity. They know that. Well, I'm going to tell you why. They, they once lived in heaven with him. They once bowed down and worshiped to him. Yeah, they know who he is, the most high. They understand Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've always known that from the moment of their creation, they knew who the triune God is. And even here, in his incarnation as a man, they knew that this is none other than God, Son of God. Shares the essence of God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. They know it. They, they know who Jesus is. But today, and in time past, they have used ungodly men to teach that Jesus is not who Jesus is. They know the truth, but they don't want men to know the truth. They know he's God in human flesh. They know who he has always been. He's eternal God. But they don't want lost men to know that. They don't want lost men to know that he is God. So what they've done, they are teachers. Demons are teachers. And they find some dupes, human teachers. And they teach them doctrines of demons. First Timothy chapter four, verse one. And they tell them, I do understand that Jesus is just a man. Do understand he is not God. The Jehovah's Witnesses. It's a cult in other cults. The demons aren't deceived. They know who Jesus is. But they want to deceive those who don't acknowledge who he is. Because their goal is to drag them to hell along with them. So they know who Christ is. Second thing we learn, the demons know. Demons have correct eschatology. Eschatology is the doctrine of last things. You notice what they say. Have you come here to torment us <laughs> before the time? Demons know that there is a final judgment. They know that God has scheduled it. And they know they'll be subject to it. They know that the prophecies of the end time relative to their own existence, their own being, their freedom, they know they will be literally fulfilled. They got their eschatology correct. <laughs> they know what's going to happen. They know what the Bible says. And they know that a torment awaits them. Demons 
are fearfully aware that their judgment entails eternal punishment. That is why James 2.19 says about them, they shudder. Shudder. They know what's coming. Interestingly, demons are not like some human beings who delude themselves by thinking there is no final judgment. Uh, There's no hell. I worked with a guy, it's got to be 40 years ago or more. He was steadfast in his misguided belief that when you die, they put you in the ground and that's it. I wish I could talk to him if he's dead now. I don't know if he's dead or alive, but if he's dead and he didn't come to Christ, I say, you still believe that? He said, no, 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 I guess not. Demons know better. Or if there is one, a final judgment of hell, humans who delude themselves will say, God is too loving to send me to it. Uh huh. Some think that their shortcomings are not serious enough to merit God consigning them to eternal damnation. You know, I'm a pretty good person. I do okay. I, I'm boy. I'm better than a whole bunch of. Have you seen some of those? Folks? Especially those on the news. I'm nothing like that. So God wouldn't send me there. Them, yeah, I can see, but not me. Demons do not harbor such foolish delusions. Their eschatology is correct. In fact, they know the timing of it. You notice something. Torment. Before the time, these demons do not wish to be sent to the abyss. In Luke 8.31, they talk about the abyss. The abyss is a prison for disobedient demons. Some are already there. According to Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, there are demons presently, yes, I speak, who are in the abyss. In Revelation 9, 1 and following, says that in the future tribulation, God is going to release those demons. And they're going to torment men for five months. Will not allow men to die, but torment them for five months. They'll appear as locusts. But right now, they're enduring punishment because of their sin. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 and 3, and also in Revelation 9, as I mentioned, the abyss is called the bottomless pit. In fact, the bottomless pit is the place where Satan will go to for a thousand years. Then he'll be let loose before later he cast permanently into the lake of fire. And the demons didn't want to go there. That's what they're saying. Have you come here to torment us before the time. Third thing they know about the Lord that we learn here that they're aware of. Demons know the sovereignty of Jesus. They are cognizant of the utter sovereignty of God. And Jesus being God, son of God, as they already have exclaimed, that he has that sovereignty and can do with them whatever he wishes. And they have no power to stop him. 
So you notice these things that they say and uh, what they do here in this confrontation with Jesus, the demons state the supremacy of Jesus over them. It's absolute authority. It's absolute authority. That's the confrontation. The entreaty. They come up with a plan. Verse 30. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, Now, if you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. They had an alternative. They understood their utter inferiority to Jesus, so they proposed this alternative uh, response from the Lord. And when it says, If you're going to cast us out, do understand that word, if there, is not an expression of doubt. In the original language, it's condition of certainty not uncertainty they knew he was going to cast them out they knew of his compassion and they knew they wouldn't be able to stay where they were I said well then since you are going to expel us would you let us go into the swine that's a bizarre request isn't it we don't know why they asked that because scripture is silent regarding the reason for this request. But in any event, what Jesus did, he permitted them to go. Verse 32. And he said to them, go. Jesus permits them in the form of a command to go. Because the word go, as I've indicated, is an imperative in the original and they had to obey Leave the men, enter the swine. And immediately, they did as Jesus commanded them. And the whole herd rushed down the, the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. They destroyed the whole herd of pigs. Some of you say, boy, we could have fried that up. <laughs> some bacon, some ham. We had us a freezer, a smokehouse. We could have had all that. And these goofy demons ruined all that. That's because you're not a Jew. Said, so there goes breakfast. BLT. <laughs> the question is, why? Why is heard? 2,000 of them. Now the gospel tells us. They are destroyed. It seems that sometimes demons do this to express their rage. And they do it in a visible manner. Acts of violence or mischief is how they express it. You recall in Mark chapter 9, there's a boy that had been demon-possessed, and the father said to Jesus, would you fix it? Your disciples, they couldn't do anything, but will you deliver my boy? And of course, Jesus did. He commanded the demon to leave the child, but he threw the boy in to a terrible convulsion as it exited the boy's body at Jesus' command. They didn't have to do that, but they did because they are wicked. They're angry. Jesus expelled them. That's probably why. 
It's another thing that I think is worthy of our contemplation as to why Jesus permitted them to go into the, to the uh, swine. The destruction of the pigs was visible evidence that the demons had exited the men. They heard the conversation of people around uh, between Jesus and the demons, and he commanded them to go, and people had evidence, yeah, he did cast them out. We know this man because we've had to deal with him. He's been out here in these tombs, these men, and we know all about it, and we actually saw this thing actually happen. We saw the pigs do something uncharacteristic, go off and fall into the Sea of Galilee and perish. It's proof that the men were delivered by the power of Jesus Christ. Same kind of proof that Jesus, uh, when he forgave the man of his sin in Mark chapter 9, he said to the man, uh, Matthew chapter 9, get up and walk. You can't see a demon. You can't see sin forgiven. But you sure enough can see the evidence of it. Now some people question why Jesus would permit the destruction of the pigs. I, I, I can hear, hear the Gentile um, committee in Gadara. They called themselves PETA. <laughs> People for the ethical treatment of animals. I said, now, why would you do that? We need answers. Two questions with two answers. First, Jesus is the owner of everything, his creator. He has sovereign right to dispose of his property any way he chooses. He's God. And if he wants to destroy property, that's his business. It's wise and it's right because he's God. Second, and, and importantly, the liberation of two demon-possessed men takes precedence over property consideration in other words people are more important to than pigs it's better to deliver men than preserve some pigs it's clear that Jesus had total mastery of the supernatural realm we remember when he was tempted in, in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4 by Satan hadn't eaten for 40 days, weakened and all of that in his humanity. But the reality is he won. Satan couldn't induce him to sin. Jesus' mastery over Satan is seen throughout all of his ministry on earth. He was in charge. Satan couldn't win. And we see Jesus' absolute authority and mastery over the demons. Every time he confronted them, he won. question is asked why doesn't God destroy Satan at once he has the power to when Satan first sinned why didn't God just say that's it for you dude when he tempted Adam and Eve and they fell why didn't God just deal with him then no why in Jesus' ministry we see this outbreak of demonism? 
Why didn't God just put Satan away? That book I mentioned a moment ago by John Piper. He writes, quote, We may infer that part of God's purpose to show more aspects of Christ's glory by manifold demonstrations of his superiority over Satan than would be shown if he had put Satan out of existence all at once. At some earlier point in redemptive history. End of quote. Page 278, Providence. Here's the deal. There's no question that God could have put him out of existence. But to demonstrate before the universe for all eternity that the highest created being with the most power and wisdom could triumph over the most high, you're going to have a demonstration of it as Christ repeatedly demonstrated his dominance over Satan and demons. His glory is expressed. His glory. His glory being his power. His authority. You read through the New Testament and you see him repeatedly exercising his authority over these evil beings that we can't control, but it's no big deal for Jesus. Because he's the Lord. And we can praise him. That's why no created thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Created thing, the devil himself. Demons. They can't separate us because they don't have the power to do so. So we have the confrontation. We have the entreaty. Finally, we have the preference. This is sad. After an event like this, the herdsmen, they ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. A miraculous event like that had to be told. They had to tell about this demoniac. You all know him because they all knew what was going on. They said, do you know so-and-so who was demonizing his buddy who was demonized? Guess what? This guy named Jesus and then the, the, our swine went into the Sea of Galilee. They destroyed. Y'all need to come meet this guy. And verse 34 says, And behold, the whole city, that's hyperbole, not every single soul in the city, but a good number of them came out to meet Jesus. I'm going to tell you what's fascinating about this. They came out to meet him. They no doubt heard him. They recognize his power because they've heard the story. They know the pigs are gone. They're down in the Sea of Galilee. They have eyewitness testimony. They said, this guy is different. And he, I hear he's God, he's son of God. Oh, I, you know, I really like my life. I like my life the way it is. You know, he could say, I really don't want him. That's why they implored him, leave. Why don't you just go on about your business, Jesus? Don't free me from my sin. Just go ahead and leave because I want to stay right in my sins. I want to do my own thing. So go. That's how people are. P.P. Levertoff commented, quote, all down the ages, the world has been refusing Jesus because it prefers its pigs. End of quote. 
everybody's got their own little pigs they want to keep. I'd rather have my pigs than Jesus. I'm glad that Jesus is a gracious Savior. Because some of us say, oh, you don't want me, do you? <laughs> Fine. Jesus is not like that. Let me show you. Go with me to Mark chapter 5. The account penned by Peter's protege, Mark. Mark 5. I'll tell you what Jesus did for this man and what the man wanted to do for Jesus. After the people came and had seen what had happened, verse 15 of Mark 5, they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down clothed, no longer naked, and in his right mind, thinking straight now. His mind is not deranged by demon possession. The very man who had the legion and they became frightened and leave their region. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man had been demon-possessed, was imploring him that he might accompany him. He said, I, I want to follow you, Jesus. You've liberated me from this dominion of legion of demons. I'm free, and I want to be your disciple. Can I go with you? In verse 19, the man said, Jesus said to the man, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. You get that? Jesus said, no, don't go with me. I want you to be my missionary. I want you to stay among these people who know what the Lord has done and tell them because Jesus, in his grace and his mercy, though those people didn't want him, he would give them opportunity to repent and trust him. Isn't God, in grace, Jesus, gracious? We're missionaries too. Has the Lord saved you from your sin? You need to tell people what he's done for you in your home, among your friends, your co-workers. You need to be telling people because you're a missionary. He saved you, delivered you from your sin. And you need to let people know it. Don't keep it to yourself. Proclaim his name to people who themselves need to be set free by the liberating power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise him for his power. Praise him for his love. Praise him for his goodness. We thank him for who he is and what he's done for us. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we bless your name for this record. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is supreme over all.
we thank you that he is our Lord. He is the one who saved us, delivered us from sin and from death and from Satan and from hell. All of these things, the comprehensive power of our great Savior. Pray that we'll love him more, love you more, our Father, for sending him. May we be faithful to tell the message. Give the gospel, the good news of Christ's triumph over sin, Satan, death, and hell. For all who will believe. And any in this place this morning who's not a believer, open his or her eyes that they may see the glory of the Savior. And be brought to him in faith. And then be missionaries to tell others about him. May we be faithful to do so as well. These things we pray in his holy name. Amen.